welcome jeff welcome to another episode this is the end of the year um the end of a decade and you and i have both chosen our favorite products of the last decade favorite hi-fi products and today we're going to discuss those uh winners if you like those prize winners award winners but also the process behind choosing them because i know that you will have put a lot of thought into choosing your favorite hi-fi products of the last 10 years and i know i did in fact i kind of agonized over it a little bit oh i did definitely well you know honestly on one level it it was it was fairly straightforward i mean there were Mm. there were a lot of I mean, there were really a lot of great things that came and gone. I mean, I think, right. I think, tell me if I'm wrong, but I think you and I both really take that kind of concierge approach in the sense that we're not looking to shoot things down. We're trying to find things that we think our audience would enjoy. Would you say Absolutely. that's correct? Absolutely. Yeah, that's 101% true. Yes. Yeah. So, yes. so that being said, it wasn't so much a winner and a loser it was more the three things that I picked, I sat down and went, okay, what are the, what were the three things? What are the three things that really either advanced the state of the art so much or gave me an experience that I really felt I couldn't get elsewhere. Mm. So that was, that was really, that's what made me. And when I, when, when that became my filter, then it got pretty easy. You know, so it was pretty cut and dry at that point. See, it's interesting because when I was first started thinking about it, the first product I thought of, and you and I have discussed it many times, is the WLA Expert range of amplifiers, which used to be called the D Premier. So right. like the, the the Chrome Pizza Box, right? Which to put it correctly. Yes. yes. And I thought, yeah, that that was a real um, ground-shaking product in that, or ground moving? No, what's the word? What am I looking for here? That's not ground shaking. Is not the word. Yeah, because you 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 hate to use all those darn audiophile game changer mm. punches above its weight class. Um, you know what? As as cliche as cliche as it sounds, I would say the DVLA was a game changer in the sense that before their product, at least to me anyway, you had lifestyle hi-fi, which you automatically thought Bang and Olufsen, which 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 suggested. Function first, performance second. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Divilla didn't do that, did they? Yeah. I mean, they not only came out with something that looked really elegant and put a lot of thought into physical design, the performance was definitely high end audio, audiophile, whatever you'd like to call it. Um, it had the performance to match. I agree. And it had the industrial design that really made people, I think, well, many of us think. I guess think long and hard about do we need to be making plain black boxes or plain silver boxes anymore? Right. Really, it really, I guess, here's a cliche, it moved the needle. It really moved No, yeah, I mean, it did. I did. I mean, it it really, I mean, I have one of those. And I mean, I've I've been kind of on the DVLA bandwagon since day one. And it's, Mm. it's always a product. It's, it's one of those things like Sonus Faber speakers. People always look at that and say, I'd have that in my house. Yes, yes. You know, they look at a big box of gear with big cables and they're like, eh, not so much, you know. Right. So that's the other thing it did. It kind of, because it put so many things into one box because it had DAC, streamer and phono stage, although not initially in the uh, base models, but eventually. So yes. it's it's everything in one unit with a great, uh, the, probably the best remote control I have ever used before or yes. since. Right, that that circular yes. disc, 
yes. wonderful. Yes. So it was just an absolute joy to look at, not so much to clean every day because you had to dust it every day. Um, it was a joy to use. And it, it was had that wow factor where, as you say, people come over and go, wow, what is that? I want one. But the reason I didn't, it didn't kind of make my, my list of products of the decade was because of the, I guess because of the expense, because I wanted to pick products that had maximum impact on the most people. So I kind of, in, in my world, I call that sort of every man hi-fi. So that thinking about that Devialet de- 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 allowed me to sort of really focus my um, shortlist or really focus my attention on products that had made it, had a big impact on many, many people. And therefore, I guess really didn't cost very much, relatively speaking, certainly not the thousands that the, uh, the Devialet expert. Well, um, that's true. That's, you know, and I think if I would have had a fourth thing, that would have been probably the fourth thing. See, I would have been torn between that and the Phantom. Because again, I mean, I know audiophiles like to poo-poo the Phantom, but that I think that thing sounds amazing. Well, and the, you know, the fun factor... For me, the fun factor on the Phantom is off the chart. Yes. So, you know, that's... Yeah, so they... I mean, really... I mean, Divya, haven't made a bad-looking product. I know they've already made two products, two and a half products, but um, I just think it, incredible, incredible stuff, but also expensive. So I, I kind of didn't want to take that approach. And I, I'm going to guess you probably took a different tack. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> yeah you did. don't have to say it like that. It's okay to take a different tack. <laughs> no, it's I like, no, I did. No, I definitely right. did. You know, right. It's, so you, uh, I, I would guess that for you, price would not be an object. No, not or at you, all. You, right. So you were just looking for. Do you want to say what your winners were, Jeff? I mean, yes. Um, well, do you want to say one? Do you want to introduce them one by one, and we can sure, we can tease sure. Them? I right. mean, I mean, we can go. Let's go from lowest cost to highest cost. Okay, let's do that. I mean, the one thing that you and I, I think, both agreed on was was Rune. Absolutely. You know, yes. and, and for me, Rune, because, again, a, a lot of people don't remember that the team that developed Rune were the same guys that developed Sulus way back when. Right, yes. And, and you had a Sulus because I remember had you. Had a Sulus from day one. Yeah, I mean, when a Sulus was crazy money, when a Sulus was crazy money and it didn't sound that good, it sounded pretty right. mediocre, but... Computer audio for me was always a non-starter. That was always mm. way too much work. You know, I mean, I remember sitting in a demo with Name and they were showing off their server. This was years ago. And the fellow doing the demo said, well, you click here and then you click here and then you click here and then you click here. And I was thinking of that scene in Sid and Nancy where he just goes, boring, you know, and I thought, <laughs> and I thought, well, nobody's going to use this because it's too hard right. to use. And what Sulus did for me, and now Rune has done even better, I mean, Rune has combined your favorite record store and your favorite radio station into one, you know, and it's, mm. it's, it's made music so accessible. It's, it's given music almost an Apple-like level of functionality where you don't need to read the instruction manual. You just install it and go, and you just Mm. want music, and you can just find it. And for me, that's the most exciting thing because everybody can use it. You don't need to be a brainiac to use it, and Mm. it's so easy to access more music. And for me, that's, that's what this is all about. It's about listening to music, enjoying music, finding more music, 
And mm. that's why I like Rune. And I mean, you know, a couple of people complain about the price and this and that. And But I mean, again, I'm going, hey, you know, for somebody who's to spend, I mean, if you buy more than two records a month, you can afford Rune. And, right. Yeah. You I know, mean, there's no getting around like it's seven, was it 700 and something euros now for a lifetime license? But like, I mean, I, as I've long argued ever since, well, I think really since Rune really took off was that we should now be thinking of as the, the software that runs our hi-fi systems. If we're sure. Streaming, yes. As a, as a component, because we know from using like, so before Rune came along, many of us were using things like Audivana, um, Amara, Pure Music, and then J River, right? Now and we they didn't all just suck. well interface wise. Yes, some of them, some, the, of, some yeah. of them have got better. Some of them haven't at all. But we, it wasn't the that wasn't the only reason that we used them. It was, was because they sounded better, right. which bends a lot of people's brains out of shape. Because like, sure. I was a I've been an ETH, you know like a I don't know a network engineer for like twenty five years, and there's no way that ones and zeros can sound different. Blah blah blah. Right. Well, if you listen, you know that that's not true. But. Before Rune, we were using these sort of desktop apps, um, as well as a bit of UPnP. But I always didn't. I, I never liked UPnP. I was always a squeeze box guy because whenever I tried to cut over to UPnP streaming, I always hit a niggle, and mostly it was the absence of gapless playback, which used oh, to yeah, yeah, me off so true. much, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't always gapless, and it was just such a lottery, and you'd have to like really chase down the developer to work out, you know, was it on the roadmap or not? I mean, I can think of one company that introduced a piece of software and chasing down Gapless almost sent them broke or it cost them a lot of money. I'm not going to name the company, but, you know, it was just a mess. So I was a squeeze box user and then I kind of used to run virtual squeeze boxes on a Mac because I still wanted to use sure, the, sure. the server software, right? Because it was, it, it's even now, it's pretty damn good, but it's not as good as Rune. And so Rune has really just taken everybody's experience up several notches, I think. I Sorry, agree. Not, I, not, not everybody's, not everybody used it. But no, yeah. I agree. And, and, you know, they kind of have come full circle now that they make the Nucleus and Nucleus Plus. Mm -hmm. But, you know, again, that was one of those things that, I mean, I've used a Nucleus or I've used Rune on a PC Used to use mm. it on a Mac Mini, but again, it got to the point where you know back when when a Mac Mini was five ninety nine, mm -hmm. that was not a bad standalone core for Rune. But now that a Mac Mini with a little bit of memory is about twelve thirteen hundred bucks, the Nucleus is is really a no brainer because it's completely optimized for what it does. And I had mentioned this somewhere else because, of course, you know it, it always leads to the argument, right? And <laughs> And I had just said, well, you know, to qualify that, it's not that Rune doesn't run okay on a Mac or a PC. And if you don't have a really big resident music collection or you don't have a really large amount of things that you've flagged on your various streaming services to be part of your library mm. and you're only running it in one place the performance gap isn't as big, but the minute you start running it in two zones at once, you've got a big collection combination of all of those things. That's when the nucleus really, really shines. I mean, I know, I mean, because I'm out in the studio, Pam's in the house. We're both running different zones on this all the time. And mm -hmm. I mean, there'll be days where, I mean, Pam's got a, a, 
uh, name, the little, what's the little cube shaped name? The Unity Atom. Yes. She's got one of those in the bathroom. She's got something else in her office. We've got hi-fi in the living room. I've got a Zeppelin out running. I forget what it's running. So it's streaming in the garage. There are days where we'll just have all six zones running. And, oh, okay. you know, and with, with the Nucleus Plus, when you really load it up, it doesn't slow down. So that may or may not be a fit for, you know, whoever. But uh, Right. It, and, and the great thing about it as well is if you don't want to spend money on a Nucleus Plus and you want to build your own. So if you want to buy a Nook and then put Rune OS on that and you've got the time to do it and the know-how, you can and you can save hundreds of dollars. Sure. So there is a solution for different types of people. I mean, I think where, you know, you talk about the argument starting, it's where the the do-it-yourself guy looks at the guy spending extra money on the nucleus itself as crazy. But that's because the guy spending the money on the nucleus probably doesn't have the time that the do-it-yourself guy has, right? So he's trading time for money. And for me, that makes a lot of sense. But Well, and I think to take that a step further, to pay pay respect to the do-it-yourself person, if you're the do-it-yourself person mm-hmm. that is knowledgeable and advanced enough that you can put that box together in relatively short order and you're saving yourself some money, that's totally cool. If I did that, I would struggle for days, weeks, months to get it to work right. So for me, right. it, it's it, it would end up costing – it's like when you decide to renovate a room in your house – and you think mm. you're going to save money, but because you don't have the right tools and you don't really do it every day, it ends up costing you five times as much. So, you know, I think it's nice that they give you the option to make right. it yourself or right. buy it, which I think is totally cool. It's equally you're you're either a wrench turner or a check writer. <laughs> right. That's it. And it but it depends. I mean, because I guess I have enough know how to put together a nook, but the guys at Rune sent me a, a nucleus, so I use that. And then sometimes I use my other Nook with a Windows um, operating system. But I, I gotta say, Rune is a bit flaky on that. I think now that Rune has advanced, because I had the Nook about three years ago, so Rune has got bigger. My library's got bigger. Yep. Sometimes, if you know, like if I want to do more things, like you say, more rooms, I don't do multi-room all that often. But when I do, sometimes the Windows one. T- can fall over, you know, whereas the nucleus is pretty rock solid. Right. But, and that's how the Mac used to be too. Right. But I, I could not live without it, especially, especially the rune radio function. Yeah. So not playing playing back radio as we know radio to be, but as in when the playlist finishes, it swims through Tidal and Cobas um, to pull other similar sounding songs. I love that feature. Me too. I think it, it's, I think it's probably my favorite feature. I think yeah. we discussed it before, haven't we? Yeah. yeah. So in that sense, I mean, Rune fit my criteria because it offers an experience that nothing else does. It right. really doesn't. If that's what you want, that's how you get – that's the only way to get that experience. Everything else is kind of less than. So Right. There's not, there's not, there's not really a, a, like a, a product that is close to it where you would say to somebody, look, if you can't afford Rune – Go and get this. It does most of the same thing. Uh, because I, I can't really think of it, especially on the interface, because the interface 
I mean, the Runes interface is designed for touchscreens. Yes. And I can't really think of any other apps that have really come to life that way. Right. Because when it ran on a Sulus, it was a touchscreen, right? So it's yes. always been designed for touching. Yes. Which is what you want to do. This is the this is the it's great... like going to a record store. You flip yes, through the records, yes. right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. and so yeah, so that's the that's the goal. Anyway, so you and I both picked Rune as one of our products of the decade. Yes. What else did you pick, Jeff? Because I don't know. I have no idea what you oh, picked. Oh, okay. Well, the magazine's not out because the damn thing's <laughs> late. It's, you know. But anyway, um, the mm. other thing I picked was um, the REL number 25, but not not the 25 itself, mm. a six-pack of REL 25s, because that's a, that's a completely different beast. Um, the REL 25 by itself is, a, yes, it's a very good subwoofer, but the experience of the six pack is so breathtaking beyond anything. I mean, and I've there there are a number of other things I've used. There's other things I've tried. I've had the Gotham's in here. I've I've spent time listening to like the Wilson, the Thor's Hammer, whatever. Which, by mm. the way, still needs an external amp and crossover. So, uh, a set of Wilson Thor's Hammers amps and crossovers is like a hundred thousand dollar proposition. Um, right. A six-pack Arel 25s is $45,000. And that's a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, and the, the, everybody's like, oh, do you need six subwoofers? Yes, you do. Um, that's a lot of money for subwoofers. Well, are you going to take a $30,000, $100,000 pair of main speakers and, and buy a subwoofer for $2,500 and expect it to perform at the same level? Probably right. not. And what this does, I mean – you have to, you honestly, dude, you have to come out here and hear this because it, it really, when I had the, the rel two twelves in my system before they were very good. And when you shut them off, a lot of the music went away, but with this, you shut these off and you just don't even want to listen anymore. I mean, it, really? it, it adds so much depth. It's not about the bass. I mean, the bass is there. The, it's about having those last couple of octaves of music reproduced with the same type of precision and resolution and and character and detail as your main speakers and it's uh-huh. it's completely seamless and you just hear even even when you're listening to something like say Ella Fitzgerald that you would think oh there's no bass in that and you shut them off and everything just collapses. Right. And it just gives such an amazing, I, I've never heard, honestly, I have never heard anything that has made this profound of a difference on the way a hi-fi system sounds. And I mean, we all know that you could buy, you could spend $45,000 on wire. And, and if you're lucky, move the needle 5%. I mm-hmm. mean, this is, you know, it's it's kind of like, I hate to make the car analogy, but if you if you want a real high-end car like a Ferrari or an Aston or something like that, you can look at specs and you can get something similar. But if you want that feel and you want that experience, that's what it costs and that's what it takes. And mm. and and nothing else delivers that experience. And this just, there's been, you know, because normally bass is just this kind of weighty, 
noisy thing. This is, it, it, it's almost like, imagine having that, that bit of information from let's, let's say about 40 Hertz down to below 20, mm. having the same amount of detail and articulation and resolution and speed that, that a pair of quads has, but yet right. it's, got, but yet it's got the weight of a big set of Wilsons or a big set of, you know, grand utopias or you name the big speaker that it's got, it's got the weight and it's got the speed and it's got the, I mean, you just, I, I mean it again, every single audiophile cliche I can think of. I mean, it's still, I mean, I'm just, I've been listening to this setup now since June and mm. you know, it, Everything sounds different. I mean, it's there. There's so much detail, even in mediocre recordings, that I didn't know was there, and it's all because of this. So it's is that because the subs are taking some of the work away from the main speakers? The main no, speakers can just not at all. It's because, not, it's not that no, at all. Okay, not at all. Right. Because Rel Rel wants you to run your your mains full range. Okay, and these, these are what you get. The way John Hunter, the the head guy at Rel. The way he explains it is that when you experience low frequency in real life, like when you hear a gunshot go off, okay, mm-hmm. or you hear a car accident or whatever, low frequencies don't just come at you from a little cube outside somewhere. Low frequencies envelop you from all over, from top to bottom. Mm-hmm. And so what, what they do when they set this six-pack up properly all three subs from floor to ceiling are set at different crossover points with a different EQ and at a different level, one to mm-hmm. take advantage of room gain, one to hit you a little bit more in the chest, and then one on top to kind of fill out fill out the top. So huh. it's when it's when it's all set up and it's all and, and we're not talking a real you know, one's not set at 20 and one's not set at 50, but they're all set just a little bit different. And when I was watching him set this up, it was like the subs just went from almost disappearing to kind of disappearing to just being completely gone in the room. And, you know, it's just, you can't hear them. You know, you've got these massive base cabinets in the room and uh, mm. it's you know they've got these 15 inch carbon fiber drivers that have about as mass as much mass as about a six inch cone so mm-hmm. i mean it's just it's fast and and for somebody like you who likes so much electronica and techno you'll mm-hmm. just freak out i mean you'll freak out it's <laughs> because because a lot of that music that i thought just had this kind of wumpy one note bass not mm. anymore, not anymore, but yet it's got so much push. And the cool thing is, is that even at a very quiet level, very low conversational level, that effect is still there, you know, and normally when you kind of turn it down, everything kind of falls apart and collapses and get gets weak. And with this, mm. yeah, I mean, I again, I've never heard anything that compares to this. I mean... 
Well, so, Jeff, I've ne- I don't think I've ever heard you talk so enthusiastically about, I mean, you talk enthusiastically generally, but this is another level. I mean, you've really is. been wowed really by is. this. And, yeah. and, you know, it's been really, it's kind of like that. It's like that one scene in Spinal Tap where, where Nigel says, oh yeah, they walk away screaming. They're really quite frightful. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, I can't, I mean, I've had seven or eight people come over here and listen to this and go, oh, that's stupid. You have all this subwoofer, you know, and they start tearing up. They play something. I hand them the iPad and say, "Here, play something you like." And they'll put something on, and they they fucking start crying. I mean, mm-hmm. it's 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 amazing. I mean, the emotional the and and the good news is, I haven't exhausted my adjective gland telling you everything's the best. Everything's the best. Everything's the best for the last <laughs> fifteen years. You know where now you're. Where do you go? You know you're all the way up, all the way up, all the way up. Where do you go? You know, mm-hmm. and so this. This, this really, this, this is, I will go on record as saying this is the most profound audio experience I've had ever Wow! in, four, in 40 years. Wow. Yeah. It's that good. So, you know, but I mean, again, this, this isn't a product for everybody. I mean, no, this no. is, this is, you know, this is that Ferrari thing. This is that Aston Martin thing. But by the same token, you know, people have said, well, nobody's going to buy that. I'm like, well, they're selling every one they can make. And Ferrari's got a three-year backlog on cars. So p- just because everyone can't afford a Ferrari doesn't mean Ferrari's worrying about selling cars. So right. it's, you know, and I mean, in all the rail stuff, I mean, even the very, very inexpensive entry-level rail product is excellent. But mm. this big six-pack of 25s, Man, it's it's unbelievable. It's really you, you you have to come out here one of these days because I bought them. I mean, I I, I right. can't live, I can't live without it. It's it's amazing. You know, I can't eat for another year, but but I've got great <laughs> I've got great sound. So um, yeah, so wow. there you well, go. Where do we go from here, Jeff? Bloody hell! I mean, you've already t- you've already gone to the top. I mean, it's just going to be downhill. But um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I, mean, I guess it, that makes my 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 next choice seem like somewhat, somewhat of a joke, but it isn't really. No, because, it's so, my, so my next, my, one of my other choices um, was the raspberry Pi, which sells for 35 euros. See, and that's so cool though. Right. It, I think so because I, it, basically you can turn it into a streamer just by changing the operating system that it runs. So you can make it a room ready streamer. How, how similar how similar is that to that little uh, Google Chromecast thing that's about 35 bucks? Very different. The Google Chromecast is, is definitely plug and play. It's very easy to set up. Okay. Um, and it has a three and a half mil socket on it. And right. you can either take analog out and use the internal DAC, or you can pull optical out using a mini Toslink adapter and okay. run it into your own DAC, right? So it's easy to set up. And then what you do is you pull up like Tidal on your phone or you know, like or any other app that's Chromecast compatible, gotcha. and there's a little button in the top right corner. So when you you push play on something, click that button, and then it will tell the Chromecast on the other side of the room to pull down that stream and send it into your DAC. Oh, so it's super easy. It's very beginner friendly. Um, the Toslink output. I mean, if I'm being really fussy about it, and I'm like, if I'm talking about it from a, a diehard audio file perspective, it's not great. But at the entry level, it's certainly nothing to complain about. But the problem with Chromecast is that it's not gapless. 
and it drives oh, me insane. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, that right. makes sense. Okay, but the Raspberry Pi is gapless. Well, it's because the software that runs on it. So you can you can turn the Raspberry Pi. Okay, I want to run this as a Rune endpoint, and you can configure the software so it runs as a Rune endpoint. And then you can go, okay, now I want it to run as a squeeze box endpoint. So you can figure the software to do that. And you can so you can configure the software within certain operating systems, which you have to download and then write to the micro SD card and then insert into the bottom of the Raspberry Pi, reboot it, and then it starts. It's basically a computer. And it's thirty nine, it's thirty five euros. Thirty five euros, yeah. Yeah. See that's but see to me, something like that is so cool because I mean, that's something I think that's happened in the last decade that's been really exciting is mm. really decent sounding, really affordable stuff has gotten way more available than it ever was before. Well, the, the cool part of the Raspberry Pi isn't the Raspberry Pi itself, because you can it's got some USB ports on it. So you can go USB out into a DAC and it, it functions so you could use it, you know, as a very, very affordable rune endpoint into anything but as you get better gear and it doesn't take a lot actually as you get better gear you tend to hear you'll you'll well until you hear something better you won't probably won't notice it but the usb output on the raspberry pi is a bit like the google chromecast digital output it's not great there's a reason for that is because it shares its data bus with the ethernet although not on the raspberry pi 4 but anyway so What's been really cool about the Raspberry Pi world is that audio manufacturers have developed boards that connect to the Raspberry Pi because it's got this like 40 pin socket. One right, socket, right. it's a riser, right? It's the 40 pins, right? So got you it. get like an audio board and you connect it to the Raspberry Pi. So the audio board, let's say, let's pick, um, there's one that sells for 50 bucks made by Hi-Fi Berry and it's a DAC board. So you put that onto the Raspberry Pi and on that board is uh, two RCA sockets. So that extra additional board does the DA conversion. So you're not relying on the you know, the quality of uh, what goes on beneath as much. Oh, okay. But, th- but then you can also get different kinds of boards, ones with the do that take the digital audio from the Pi and turn it into a spin-off output. So the output spin-off. There's one that you know does coax. There's another one that does Toslink. And there's this whole ecosystem of boards out there. So... What this has over the last, well, since Raspberry Pi came to market, I think about 2012, it took a while. It had a sort of fairly jittery start with audio files. But in the last five years, this whole um, add-on board market, they're called hats. Like right. The hats that go on top of things, right? This whole add-on board market has really sort of just blossomed. So now choices are broad and you can put a Raspberry Pi streamer together, whether it has a digital output or analog output, and you can probably do it for about 200 bucks, less that's than 200 awesome. bucks. That's right? great. So what that has meant is that if you're, let's say you're Blue Sound or you're Auralic, if you're making a 500 euro streaming DAC, you want to make sure that that thing is bloody awesome, especially in, like, in terms of industrial design, because that's the weak point of raspberry pi world it's kind of the the cases are a bit yeah well you can't have everything for 30 you can't but you know but again this really sort of fit into my sort of everyman brief for products of the decade and i think the raspberry pi and its ecosystem of hi-fi add-ons of hats 
has really transformed the entry-level streamer market beyond all recognition. I mean, if I was a hi-fi company, there is no way I would be developing a four or five hundred dollar streamer now. I think the competition is super fierce. Yeah, like from yeah. coming up from below, you know, like it's. I mean, I think the only one, like the blue, I'm looking at a blue sound right now, and I think, yeah, that looks like a a proper product. It's got like decent industrial design and it has a, a touchscreen on top where you can change it. it, has a headphone output, so it does a lot more. But yeah. But you know what? That goes back to your earlier point of wrench turners and check writers. Right. You yes. know, I mean, I mean, again, me being the old guy. I mean, back in my day, you you bought Dynakits. You you know, you built stuff yourself. This is mm. the same kind of DIY thing that I think is really cool. You know, yeah, it is. I mean, it really is for tweakers because you can change the OS, you can change the hat, and it doesn't cost a lot of money. You can get different cases. Yeah, you can I even mean, get, you can you can get screens as well, so you get touch yeah, screens, I mean, so you if, can run a rune. If if you love music and you don't have a lot of cash, but you can make stuff, I mm. mean. That's a bonus for everybody, I think. Absolutely. I mean, I think for me, it, it really has been a real game changer. <laughs> no, it really has. Okay. Back to what's your what's your third thing? What's your my third th- pick? What was my third thing? Oh, yeah. The Chord Mojo. It's a little DAC from Chord Electronics in the UK. Okay. It's a little, port- a little portable thing, right? Yeah. So that was launched 2016. Um, I think Chord were really hoping that it would capture the imagination of more smartphone users than it actually did because I think what they found out in after like a six months of selling it were people were using it in their, that, that people were using it in their main hi-fi system so much. Yeah. Because it was such an overachiever at the time and still now, actually you'd struggle to find a DAC as, as good sounding as the Chord Mojo at how much does it sell for now? I think it's a bit cheaper than it was. It's 400 bucks. Let's say yeah. 500 bucks, right? Yeah. I mean, that it, is a it's, very good. And doesn't that have an external power supply you can add to it as well? Or am I thinking of a different cord product? Probably a different cord product. Okay. It's it's battery powered. So you can use okay. it with your phone or you can use it with your laptop. It's pocketable. Um, it's cute. Uh, it's, it's, super, it's super cute. It's a little dinky thing. Drives very hard to drive headphones. So it, it just feels more, it feels like it's got more go in it than even, say, the Dragonfly Cobalt, which is a very it's a more elegant, pretty sounding DAC to my ears anyway. Um, but Card makes I still, great stuff. <clears throat> yeah, they do. And it's down to Rob Watts. Well, no, it's not all down to Rob Watts, but a lot of it is down to Rob Watts because he, he codes. So for people that don't know, Cord don't use um, an off-the-shelf DA chip. DAC okay. Chip. They use a FPGA. Oh, they, I, I you know I wasn't I'm not that familiar with Cord because we we don't right. have a relationship with them here in the U.S. So okay, okay. So on the FPGA sits Rob Watts's special code and his filter, which does all the digital filtering and the decoding, which is possibly why it sounds better. Possibly why I don't know for sure why it sounds better than most DACs built around off the shelf off the shelf chips at the same price. And like it came out four years ago, nothing is really gotten close to that price maybe the cobalt but not no not really not really even though the cobalt is amazing it's just not in the same league and it's not battery powered and it can't drive as hard to drive headphones as can the mojo so because you could basically because this thing was affordable you could apply it to your phone and your um macbook and you could take it to work you could bring it back home again it would just go where wherever you wanted i I quite like that you know so 
That's a handy tool to have around. Right. So again, it, it fit my everyman hi-fi brief and it was, you know, yeah, very, well, in, in hi-fi terms, very affordable. Well, you know, and and to take that one step further before I tell you what my last choice was, I mean, mm. following that same path, our product of the year this year is that little project that uh, the digital S1 or S2 or whatever that is. Oh, the Streambox S2. The, yeah, uh, the Streambox. Streamer, not yeah. the Streambox, the other one. The oh. the digital, I believe it's the digital box S2. Is it DAC box? I don't know. Yeah, you can use it with the Streambox. But okay. It's 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 two ninety nine. It's a DAC, a headphone mm-hmm. amp, and it's a line level preamp, which I really like because again, it's one of that. It's one of those gateway things where mm-hmm. you know you're living in a little apartment. All you can afford mm-hmm. is a pair of headphones. Your your position changes. You get a little more room. Hey, I'd like to buy an amp and pair of speakers. You're ready to go, and mm-hmm. and the level of sound quality at two ninety nine is breathtaking. I mean, mm-hmm. you couldn't have bought something like this for two or three thousand dollars ten years ago, mm-hmm. and so for me, that's I really, and that's why we made that. I mean, that's our product of the year overall this year because we always, you know, those those what is it? Is it cranky pants or crabby pants? Cranky, cranky pants. pants. The cranky pants people always say, "Oh, you only pick those really expensive things," and it, if if you do your homework and look back. It's it kind of bounces back and forth. Some years it's it's fairly expensive exotic things, but I really love finding cool products like this that just anybody could go out and buy and enjoy hi-fi and and get started and get in the game, you know, 299. Mm. You know, that's I, I would think almost anybody could do that, you know. So Well, so that was that kind of actually that dovetails very nicely into into one of my other choices, which was all of the audio quest dragonflies but the cobalt is 299 but i, I kind of picked all of the audio quest dragonflies because for the extra 100 bucks you spend moving from black to red then red to cobalt you get an extra boost in sound quality although I, as i've listened to the red and the cobalt longer i think it's more of a matter of taste rather than one necessarily being better than the other depending upon how noisy the usb source is though right. however those things are you know, it's got a headphone socket on it, so you can connect it to obviously a pair of headphones, or you can connect it to a, a power amplifier, or probably wouldn't use it as that actually, but certainly to an integrated. Oh, you amplifier. could, you yeah. could, but I, I don't know. I just, I, I don't know. Many, I don't really see the use case so often there. But you can also use it with your phone, and there are so few DACs out there that can be used with a phone, and then you can go off and you know, get the same sound quality as you had at home when you're at the office or, you know, traveling on transportation between work and home or on your vacation or whatever. So it was another sort of go anywhere products. And that's why I picked those, all those dragonflies. And they all tie in actually that those dragonflies and the Cord Mojo are tremendous DACs that you can then use with a Raspberry Pi streaming front end. Uh-huh. So I was, I was trying to tie them all together. All the Lego products. Yeah. Yeah, so like all the pieces fit together. So yeah, no, I like that. And and actually, what what the genesis of all of this thinking was was one of my other picks. I think is this my final pick? I think it might be. Okay, have I done five or four? Whatever. Anyway, you've done four. Was, okay, so the fifth one is the Squeezebox Touch from Logitech, which 
I know many people had squeeze boxes throughout the noughties, but the squeeze box I had one, box, yeah. Right? Was the with the touchscreen came out right. in 2010. Yeah. I was surprised. When I looked it up, I thought, oh, this must be a noughties product. But no, came out in 2010, discontinued two years later. And for me, I mean, I bought one again recently off eBay. I'm looking at it across the room now. I still think that this was one of the greatest hi-fi products of all time because it, the DAC in it still stands up to this day. Unbelievable, but it really does. And it's, it's an all-in-one streamer. I think it's what, fantastic. What did you end up paying for that on eBay, if I might ask? Mm, yeah, of course. Um, I think it was about 150 euros. So wow, about a, that's great. 180 bu- yeah, 180 bucks. But um, it's in pretty good condition. The batteries had all kind of leaked inside the remote control, but I managed to clean that out. There you um, go. But, but people forget, well, not everybody forgets, but some people forget it had a headphone socket on it. Um, it read SD cards. You could put a USB drive in the back as long as it wasn't too big or didn't demand too much power. And it could be like a standalone server streamer. You could also install a third-party plugin and have that USB socket turn into a USB output, asynchronous, I might add. So I, at the moment, I've got my Squeezebox Touch um, in the in its USB socket sits the Dragonfly Cobalt, so I'm bypassing the internal deck of the Squeezebox Touch and using the Dragonfly and going out into the Hegel amplifier, and it sounds wonderful and it's super easy to use and it's Rune compatible. See how everything ties in? Like there you go. To Rune as well, I mean, right? and it, isn't, isn't it interesting? Because now that you've been doing this for quite a long time, you know, ten you, years. Yeah, I mean, Almost, you, yeah. yeah. God, has it been has it been that long since you and I first started chatting at Rocky Mountain Audio Fest? Uh, that was 2011, I believe. But yes, okay, it's sure. been that. Yes, but wow. it's been like I started in 2010, so I'm, I'm I'm claiming that I've been doing this for a decade. Wow. Just I still remember shy. you were wearing that can T-shirt. Right, right. You know, yeah. So there you I go. Can fa- I could fake it with the rest of them, Jeff. There you go. No, it's like, hey, cool shirt. <laughs> yeah, but like, but that's where I st- I started with the squeeze box touch. And what's interesting about that is back when I started, w- right when I started writing about hi-fi. I was of the mindset that digital ones and zeros all sound the same. Aha. I was like, well, because I had, I had swallowed the propaganda of the 80s and 90s, basically, that it's all ones and zeros. It's perfect. It can't be, it, you know, it can't be, it's not changeable. So when I started reviewing, I was just using the spit of out of the squeeze box touch into a DAC, thinking, well, this is as good as any other product. Until I put a spit of reclocker on it, my mate brought one over. He's like, I've got this thing from Audio GD. You should try it on your squeeze box. And I did, and I was absolutely gobsmacked. I was like, oh, okay. So that mm-hmm. whole thing about ones and zeros not being the same um, was true after all. So, I mean, everybody has to go through that experience, firsthand experience, I might add, because being told it is not enough. Being told that ones and zeros can sound different is not enough to change your mind. You have to actually want to have your mind changed or be open to it and go and put yourself in a position where you could experience it and listen for yourself. And if you don't hear it, you don't hear it. That's fine. And that, yeah, and that's least, perfectly you know, okay. Yeah, but if you, know. you, you really should try it, I mean, all you've got to lose is a bit of time. The more time, the more experience you get – hopefully the broader your perspective becomes because you just, mm. you know, you have more right. data points. That's all. Right. But what I really like about this, having this thing here now in, in my hi-fi rack is that I started the decade with the squeeze box touch and then got rid of it. And then, you know, 
didn't you know, use other pieces of hardware. And now I'm ending the decade with a squeeze box touch back in my hi-fi rack and still loving it and loving the experience. But now it does more things because it talks to Rune, so I don't have to use the squeeze box touch um, software if I don't want to. Well, which which ties in with my last thing. <laughs> okay. And I, and I know this is going to sound like really elitist, but I started the decade with DCS and I'm ending the, DC, the decade with DCS. But um, Really? What did, you, what did you start with? Uh, the Paganini. Okay. You know, because I, at the time, right before that, I had a, I had a name, CD555 with the PS555. Okay. And I, and I absolutely love that, but that was right before computer audio really kicked in. And all the name stuff back then didn't have a digital input. Okay. So, you know, I had to kind of embrace the, the new world of computer audio and that was when the, and, and the Paganini was a, you know, it was a step up in performance, but that was, that was where I started the decade with the, with the four box Paganini and uh, had that for quite a while and bounced back and forth, almost, almost stepped off the cliff with, a with the four box Vivaldi, but, mm. um, but, but a really expensive divorce put the, put the, put the full stop on that. <laughs> Right. <laughs> and uh, just didn't have that extra cash. And uh and then I after that I had a, a Rossini for a while and I yeah. was I was just about ready to pull the trigger on Rossini and the nice folks at DCS let me know that they had a couple of um Vivaldi ones left. So okay. I was able I was able to pick up a Vivaldi one. And so for me, that's that's really my other thing. The Vivaldi slash Vivaldi one thing really has been the product for me. That's and again, and I know we can get a whole bunch of arguments about which super ultra mega premium DAC is <laughs> the, the one. But, right. um, but for me, you know, I've I've. You know, I've used DCS as a tool for 10 years. It, I, the sound quality to me is fantastic. Um, you know, the company really stands behind what they make. They they support mm -hmm. their stuff. I mean, they go all the way back to the Elgar and they still support that. And, you know, we, we had, I think it was maybe a year ago, we managed to bring an Elgar in to do a piece in our vintage column. Because, I mean, hey, you know, 15 or so years ago in digital world, it's like dinosaur years. But, you know, even that, that early Elgar, I mean, when you listen to that next to a Vivaldi, you can see where the DNA is. You can see where, you know, what their priorities were. And, you know, just like you were mentioning with, with Cord, it's all FGPA. So you, every time they come out with an update, it's, it's almost like you got a new DAC again, which to me extends the life of a product like that. Mm. You know, I mean, and that's critical. I mean, when you're spending that kind of money on a, on a piece of gear, it should have a lot longer lifespan than, oh, the new chip is out. So that really expensive box you just bought is now obsolete. And, mm -hmm. you know, DCS is really fantastic about that. But I mean, for me, really, the Vivaldi finally took this to the point where it's not, am I listening to digital? Am I listening to analog? I'm just listening to music. And mm. some things... Some recordings reveal more in the digital domain. Some things reveal more in the analog domain, but I'm not, I'm not listening to that thing anymore and going, well, it sounds pretty good for digital and it just sounds really good. And so, 
here's, here's a question for you, Jeff, then. So are you listening to more or less vinyl at the end of the decade than at the start or not? Way less, way less. Um, right. I mean, it, and it's not because I don't love analog. It's not because I don't have a good analog front end. It's, I mean, for me, it's really the convenience factor. I mean, now that there's just so much music out there, you know, mm. I'm, I'm still discovering more music all the time, you know, right. I mean, it's, it's, uh, and, and what, what digital has done has really digital and streaming, especially rune in the various streaming services has really made it so much easier to vet music, you know, rather than, I mean, think of all the times you bought a record and you got it home because you bought it for that one song and the rest of the record sucked, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not doing that anymore. I mean, I, I think streaming gives you a chance to live with a piece of music for a little while. And then, Hey, maybe I do want to invest in the vinyl. Maybe not. You know, I mean, there's with, with so much more music being recorded. I mean, almost nothing's recorded in the analog domain anymore. Right. Yeah. And now that they lost all those tapes and that fire, I mean, mm -hmm. a lot of things that will be supposedly remastered, I mean, again, highly biased opinion. Taking something from 24192 and putting it on a slab of vinyl, for me, makes it sound different, not better. That's just me, you know? Right. And it's like, if it's 24192 to start, I'd rather just listen to a 24192 on, on my DAC. You know, that's that's me. I don't, I don't feel the need to have a piece of vinyl for that. Yeah, I don't know. It's funny because I, I didn't have a turntable in 2010. And right, I remember. Now I've got now I've got three or four of the damn things in this house. Um, I own a couple, a couple are on loan, but I play more records than I ever. I probably even even in my teens, I play more records now than I ever did. Interesting. And, and it's not because of fidelity. It's that is probably way down my list. I mean, I don't know. I've only ever really sort of dabbled at the sort of lower end of turntables. I, I will take a plunge soon, but. I just, I really like buying records. I love buying records, you know? I do too. The, I, yeah, I, I, the chase, you. you know? Yeah, I, re I agree with you. And I, I really like listening to records when the pace slows down just a little bit and I can mm -hmm. really, you know, kind of savor that experience of the vinyl. Yeah. Although, weirdly enough, with digital, I'm not a big playlist person. Because, no, you know, I talk to people and they, they're, they're so proud of these, these, you know, I put these 30 songs together in order and that's cool and I get it, but I would never listen to those same 30 songs in that order again. That's just I me. I agree, that's, yeah. That's my weirdness. I, was, I, I guess I, for me, it's who put the songs in that order. So I'll give you an example of this, which is actually quite a good, relevant, contemporary example. There is a guy, there's an artist called Burial. Right. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He made two very popular LPs of you loosely call it dubstep, um, but it's not really dubstep. It's more like very darkly lit, um, ambient. Oh, I don't even know how you describe it, but anyway, he made two LPs in the noughties. They were very successful, but then in the last decade, he's only made a run of EPs. So I've been buying them here and there. I bought a few, but not all of them, and I've played them and blah blah blah. But Three months ago or two months ago, he put out though all of almost all of those EPs com compiled them, but he didn't compile them chronologically. So the record label asked him, "Say, look, can you sequence these tracks for us?" 
the way he sequenced them is just sublime. I have not played an album this year as much as I've played this album in the last few weeks. It is just astonishing because it starts out really dark. It's like diving, dri- diving, driving down a dark hi- highway at night. So if it's like a, it's a night drive music, but it slowly comes to life, like with little bleeps and bloops here and voices that come in and out and crackles and the odd sort of not gunshot, but like the the cocking of a gun, which he's known for. So it's just, sorry, I've, I've just ranted here, but like the sequence of tracks created by an artist really matter to me. But yeah, like Shuffle, I don't give a shit about Shuffle. And it's like Spotify curated playlists, couldn't give a shit, don't care. Nope, uh-uh, nope, nope. And, and you know, the weird thing is listening to music digitally, even though I listen to a lot of music digitally these days, it's kind of like the way I look at the way I take pictures, you know, because I started out as a photographer in an analog world where you shot a roll of film. You either had mm-hmm. 24 or 36 pictures. So you kind of had to make it count. Right. Mm-hmm. And then digital came along and a lot of people just shoot a million pictures of everything and sort it out in the end. And I still shoot pictures like I did in the old days. I shoot a roll of film. You know, wow, and, okay. it, and it's the same way with, um, you know, it's the same way with music. A lot of times I just put this album on and let it play or that album on and let Absolutely, it play. Absolutely, yeah. For the reason you just mentioned, because I do enjoy listening to it in that sequence. So, yes, because, yeah, but also like with the playlist thing, if Robin Hitchcock were to choose like a dozen Bob Dylan songs and sequence them himself, I would value that as a cultural right. artifact. Or not I agree as much as the LP. But like it's about who is doing the cur- curation is what I'm really getting to here. So if yeah. it's just my mate, well it could be interesting but it could not be interesting. I, I don't know, it depends on the mate, right? Right. But but like if it's a like a well-known artist like I know, I'm looking at an LCD sound system LP right now. So if James Murphy was to compile, I don't know, like 15 killer disco cuts from the 70s and i don't like even like disco i would still listen to that because it's james murphy the association is important you know sure because I mean, like he those, is yeah. i'm sorry i'm sorry for interrupting no no no, no you, you go ahead jeff go ahead go ahead did you listen to any of those that whole uh like the buddha bar series or the hotel costas or any of those discs i i didn't i i think i maybe heard one once i actually thought they were a little bit nice you know yeah. I, I know Sorry, I'm, I don't want to piss try on your the, choices. Try, no, no, try that. Try that. I, well, the, for me, the Hotel Costas discs just led me to a whole bunch of other artists that I found intriguing. You know, that's, that's a cool thing. Like, yeah, I mean, that's what led me further into your world of electronic music. You know, right. by, by getting a couple of good samplers. Um, you know that that oh hey, I need to hear more of this. I need to hear more of that. So, I mean, it's it served a purpose in that respect. You know. That's how I actually. That's how I got into electronic music. I bought an album called the Positiva Ambient Collection, which to anybody who listens to electronic music from the nineties will be like, "Wow, I can't believe John just mentioned that." But it was this really obscure album, and Positiva actually was a label known for house tracks at the time. But okay. for some reason, they, they put out this weird album with like the Orb, Aphex Twin. Yep. Um, yep. I, f- I forget who else was on it, but it was, I think it's quite hard to get nowadays. But for me, that was my gateway into, um, actually into the Orb and Apex Twin and Orbital and other people like that. So yeah, compilations can, or playlists or whatever, can take you into another space. Um, but it needs to be the right one and it needs to be created by the right people. 
And right. I don't know about you, right? Tell me if you find this. You could come across a compilation, but if it has one dud track on it, one track you really can't stand, then the whole compilation is, well, it's dead to me. The party like comes to, to a halt. I have to love every track on a compilation. Yes, yes I agree. Totally. Otherwise, I'm not interested. Yeah, it's about Which the is, pace. It has to keep the pace going. Right. So I think one of my favorite compilations of all time is, and it's just being reissued on vinyl this month for the first time in like 20 years, is the um, the soundtrack to the movie Until the End of the World, the Vin Bender's soundtrack, because the movie's being reissued next month Okay. as a Criterion release. So that that is an album that has... U2, Talking Heads, Lou Reed, uh, R.E.M., Depeche Mode. It has a dub version of a Nana Cherry um, song on it. Can, Crime in the City Solution. Nice. I, think I've mentioned, I, I think I've mentioned this album before on this podcast. I am repeating myself, but I'm repeating myself better this time. So um, it's just a wonderful I, compilation. I, you know, kind of almost like on one level, you know, Quentin Tarantino usually strings together some pretty right. good tunes on his movies too. Yeah. yeah, I mean he go, he goes deep, so he yeah. pulls things out that you've never heard, and they he recontextualizes them, and they become modern day classics like the Steelers' Wheel, right? But oh. um, I mean, I know it's some maybe you. I can't go there. It sucked the first time, but really? you know, see, I wasn't when, there the first time, so I yeah. have no idea. You know, that's the great thing. I think that in the end, that is what is so exciting about music is that it does evoke so much emotion in people and right. i mean i've always wanted to do the the 10 tracks i hate the most because <laughs> there's you know there's there's just those songs that i hear that i can't stand and i don't even know why i can't stand them but i just don't like them if i you made know? that pla- if i made that playlist at least five of those tracks would be by the red hot chili peppers yeah, that's one of those, Just, you know, the, oh. for, you know, it, it, even though it was a little past my time, I just remember in the kind of, was that kind of, wouldn't you put that stuff about kind of mid 1990s ish? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it was like every, when I lived in Arizona, I lived very close to Arizona State University. So you'd always hear all the kids driving around in their cars and it was kind of like every frat boy asshole was listening to the Chili Peppers and Dave Matthews Band, right? <laughs> and 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 maybe to a little lesser extent, Gin Blossoms and a couple of other things. But it was like, ugh, I just, you know, so yeah, the Chili Peppers. I just, I just, they, they, they induce a certain level of anger in me that it's, <laughs> it's, 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 I just. I just sit and seethe if I have to listen to a song by them. Yeah. I remember going on a on a on a road trip in Australia with a. Uh, a now ex-girlfriend and she played Californication. She goes, you got to listen to this. You got to listen to this. It's amazing. And you know, when somebody says it's amazing, you know, right. it's going to be horrible. But yeah. it was, it was- <laughs> oh, that's just that British thing. You know, you were talking about being American. That's that British thing. I think I tried to sleep for that entire album, but it was, it's very hard because that yeah. guy's voice. Oh, anyway, like I don't want to, I don't want to like, I certainly don't want to end this podcast on a, on a note. Not, yeah. On a negative. So, um, do, have we have we been through all of the products of the decade, Jeff? Yeah, I think. yeah. I only did and three, one, so okay, I, I, did, so I did five. I'm ready. I'm kind of worried that I've I've missed one. I'm just going to go back and check. Bloody well, hell. you know what? The internet is great. It's like politics from the Soviet Union and the Cold War. You can just go back and rewrite history. You know, right? Say yes. I didn't say that. I don't know. I didn't say that. 
So we should give some credit actually to, um, or shout out or whatever you want to call it to the guys at both Tidal and Cobras, even though Tidal was first, but these guys are keeping CD quality alive because that's for me what, what I love about these streaming services, not the high res, but the CD quality. And they're, they're keeping that going in the streaming space, which I think really they're sort of almost like torchbearers for better oh, sound yeah. quality in a, yeah, in a broader space, you know, because more mainstreamers would, would have heard of Tidal than will have heard of Sonus Faber. Oh, no right? question. Oh yeah, right. no. It's so, my, my neighbors across the street are Title subscribers, and right. they, they listen to it in the car. Oh yeah, we use Title. So I was I was pleasantly surprised to hear that you know that was part of their world, right? And I think it, I mean it's only for them. It's only an extra couple of clicks, extra sure. ten bucks a month, and they've got CD quality rather than lossy quality. To be to be to be obtuse. Um, did you ever hear that joke about why are rationalizations better than sex? No. Because when was the last time you went a whole day without a rationalization? And <laughs> to take that, to carry that forward to what we were talking about at the beginning about the cost of, say, a Rune subscription or Title or Cobas or whatever, mm. now, where you live, gas is about $9 a gallon, right? Oh, it's like it's well, it's not as expensive as the UK, but it's pretty pricey, yeah. Okay. And now when you go back and forth to the record store, how do you get to the record store? I walk or I take my bike or I get the Uban. Okay. Well, if you were let's let's just say for a moment you were using a vehicle. Um you know Sorry. when you when you think about but I mean a lot of people do. A lot of people yes, get they in their do. Car yes. yeah. and go to the record store. Okay. So if you if you take that into consideration, you know, just the amount of money you'd spend on fuel going back and forth to the record store twice a month mm. pays for Rune or Title or Cobas. Well, I think I think the argument is 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 simpler than that, because I know and you and I have discussed this many times privately and on this podcast, but it bears repeating, is that if you grew up in the nineties and you're spending, let's conservatively estimate like a hundred bucks a month on CDs and vinyl or whatever. Right. And you didn't even blink. I, I certainly right. didn't. Agreed. Agreed. But, but then you like, why all of a sudden are you hemming and whoring about the extra 10 bucks it costs you to step up from tidal basic to tidal hi-fi or the extra 20 bucks? No, sorry. 12 bucks a month. It will cost you to run rune. I just, I just don't, I don't get that mentality, and I think that's because streaming has devalued software, software as well as music, to such an extent that we now just think everything is free. It's not just streaming, actually. It's like it's it's Apple and Windows. And here's here's my argument, and tell me what you think about this, because mm. you know there's so many people out on the web, out on Facebook. They're all mad. They're saying that streaming has taken all the money out of the artist's pocket and they're not making any money on streaming. But, you know, back when physical media was at its peak, I mean, we're talking probably mid 80s when, yeah. when physical yeah. media, you know, when, you know, Michael Jackson, when you two, those guys were getting at the peak, those guys, the Rolling Stones, they were getting between a dollar and two dollars per disc as a royalty mm -hmm. that was those guys now the no-name guys that made a record that sold fifty thousand copies weren't were getting nothing 
And and when you think about okay, the Rolling Stones put out a record and it sells five million copies. So the Rolling Stones made five million dollars on that split between five guys. That's not crazy money for people like the Rolling Stones. Nobody's mm. getting rich on that. Where everyone, where musicians have always made their money was touring. I mean, in the in the fifties and sixties, they used to give forty fives away so you would go to the show. Yeah, I think. I mean, I remember it a bit differently in the in the in the eighties, and maybe I remember it incorrectly because I was a lot younger. In the eighties, you would tour or a band would tour an artist would tour to promote and sell a record they would make the money on the record and now the record serves as the promotional item for the tour you know they were still making way more money touring than they ever were on record sales they would go out in a right. tour they would they would usually do a tour to support the new album hmm. but the tour was always where they made money and right you know so my thought is that I mean, again, look at how many new bands or new musicians, new artists that you've discovered as a result of streaming that you probably never would have found and hence never would have gone to see live had you not been exposed to them. I hear of so much new new stuff that if I like it, I'll buy the vinyl, um, but sometimes I buy the CD. Right, but I guess what I'm saying is what people don't understand is that if you're buying a record album today from an artist that's on any label other than a really hardcore independent label, the artist isn't getting any of that money. Well, it's I, it's certainly true that it's, I think it's always been the case that the record labels have been taking the major cut yeah, so. of, of physical media sales. Because I remember when CDs came out and there was a bit of a a, a bit of a kerfuffle, a bit of a to-do about how little artists made on royalties from CDs and how how you know how very much labels took because their commission. I think the record labels have always been sure. And you know the funny, the funny and ironic part for me about CDs all the time is that I mean because I knew a few people that were record industry people back then. You mm. know, the reason they brought the CD out was to prevent piracy. Ha ha! You know, isn't that a crack yeah. up? Yeah, you know, no, yeah. no, nobody knew that we'd be ripping CDs and, you know, that the technology would go where it did. So, right. You know, I, I think at the end of the day, you know, you, you have to, you got to do what you do because you enjoy what you do and mm. you, you'll either make shit money, okay money or awesome money. And that can't be your motivation, you know? Um, I yeah, mean, I guess, we, I, I guess the streaming, the streaming world as it stands now, can't possibly sustain the number of aspiring artists. So if you're an aspiring artist, you aspire to be, you know, you aspire to live off your work and that may no longer be possible for right or wrong, like for, for whatever reason, right. whether it's right or, wrong. or whatever, but it might no longer be a viable source of long-term income for somebody, you know, whether they're 25 or 45 or whatever. Sure. So I don't know whether we're going to see a, a shift in the number of, um, new albums coming out? I don't think so, though, because there are like there are. I think there are more albums that come out in a month now than came out in a, an entire year in the mid eighties. Definitely, definitely. So it's it's kind of weird how it's much harder to make a living off music now, yet more and more music is coming out. 
So I guess that's because of ease of access to production, because you can make an album with a laptop in your lounge room, right? You don't need a studio. Yeah, you don't need a record contract. So right. you, you need a laptop so, and a mic. Right. So it's kind of, it's 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 weird. It's, it's a weird dichotomy to see so much more music coming out, which benefits the consumer. So basically, I think really what I'm getting to here is that most of the changes that have taken place, even the last 10 years, have benefited us, the consumer. Like it's super oh, yeah. cheap to stream, stream content. Um, gigs, I mean, they're not that much more expensive than they were 30 years ago if index for inflation. So the, I th- some, whoever's losing, I think, is the artist. I, I really do. I do, I do feel, feel a bit for the artist, you know, having to look at royalty checks coming via Spotify from their labels. But I don't know what, I don't, I don't know what the answer is. There's a, this is a kind of a frustration I have, really. I mean, I guess direct sale through Bandcamp is probably one answer. Sure. Well, and even when you go see an artist live, I mean, when you buy a CD or a record from an artist at a show, they're getting to keep all that money. You know, when, right. you, when you buy a T-shirt, they're getting to keep all that money. Uh, I mean, not, I mean, not in, Actually, that's not entirely true, because did you know that the venue uh, can take a cut of 10 or 20 percent on all merch? Right. But I mean, that's still better than getting a dollar royalty for selling a CD. Sure, sure, sure. You know, but I mean, you, they're still getting to keep more than if, you know. But I think what's also really interesting, because I've, I've mentioned him earlier, but I've been a Robin Hitchcock fan for many, many years. But anyway, so he used to be more of an like an album guy and then would do a tour to promote the album, right? right. And now, and I read an interview with him recently. He said, like, my job now is to tour the USA. That's my job. I go around and I tour and play gigs in as many different places around the USA as possible. And I know that he comes to the UK once or twice a year. Sometimes he comes into mainland Europe. So he is a very much a touring musician now, more than he ever was. Because, sure. the, we, you know, there would be a break normally between an album and a tour. Then there would be like a six months, you know, quiet period where you wouldn't hear anything from Robin Hitchcock. But now he's always touring. And I would I would guess that's because he can't make money from selling the records he makes, or not enough money to sustain his. Well, and I, um, I mean, no offense, and I I love the man too, but I can't imagine he was making millions of dollars selling records. No, but I think in the eighties he probably would have sold a fair fair number. Yeah, because he yeah. was like he was like he had that big college what you call in America a college radio hit uh, right. with with Balloon Man in five yes. or something like that eighty six huge on MTV too. Right. See, I I wasn't aware of him at that point. I didn't know who he was. Um, but now you were twelve. That, then. <laughs> I was, yeah, I was thirteen. Actually, yeah, I was pretty young. But I'm just but, teasing you. But you know, like the concept of having a hit single now for for even somebody, you know, he would have been about what mid thirties back then, maybe early thirties. Yeah. Like how that just I don't know how that would happen unless you you make it mega big. You may as well not make it at all. I always, th- I always think that, you know, unless you're making a $5, you, you're either making a $5 royalty check or a $5 you know, million. I don't think there's a lot in the middle anymore. I don't know. I could be wrong. I don't know. You know, I think a lot of, a lot of life has gone like that, you know, without getting too philosophical. I mean, right. the middle, the middle yes. is fading out. Right, right. I think so. I mean, certainly in the high-end audio world, things are either very expensive or kind of pretty damn cheap. And that's our discussion for our next podcast. Yeah, maybe we should do that, actually, because I did mention it in my – I made a video about the last 10 years, and I mentioned it. Let's talk about where the middle went. (laughs) Where the middle went. Where did the middle go? (laughs) 
All right, Jeff. Look, we, we've, we've talked for like almost 80 minutes, so let's wrap it yeah. up. Okay. Um, thank you for, so very much for being a guest today and also for the entire year. It's always oh, fun to talk to you about hi-fi and, and music as well. Um, and I guess I'll see you in the new year. I'll be That's a year fun. older the next time we talk. Oh, yeah, it's your birthday in two days. Is it two days or tomorrow? tomorrow. Christmas, Christmas baby. I'm such a Grinch. Well, I hope you have a good day tomorrow and a great Christmas. And um, I will talk to you soon. Thanks, man. Take care. So that's it, the end of another year, the end of the decade, and you have been listening to, once again, me, John Darko, and Tone Audio's Jeff Dorgay.